Welcome back once again to yet another episode of Maine Education Matters. Thank you so very much for listening and sticking with us all through these uh, wonderful, tumultuous times. My name is Matt Drewett Card, and I'll be your ever intrepid host uh, going through this week. What we are going to do is we're going to review the work session from April the 19th, and we are then going to look ahead to the following week, to what's happening on the 25th and 26th, because there's, um, <clears throat> well, the 24th, 25th, and 26th of next week, because there's um, one day in particular that I think that a lot of educators um, will be very interested in. So let's get into what happened, uh, first of all. Um, on April the 19th, there was a work session, and there were several several bills that were reheard. Now, if you remember back a little while ago, there was a whole day that was dedicated just to school funding and the school funding formula and looking at metrics for um, different ways to you know, support or to determine, fa- determine factors of uh, disadvantaged student factors or so let's just let's just go through a lot of, there was there was a lot of discussion and there was not a whole lot of new stuff that was voted in um, so first of all on the 19th going back to a bill that was heard a while ago LD 142 an act to fund climate related service work presented by representative Morgan Riley out of Westbrook um, this book, on uh, this book, <laughs> listen, folks, um, this bill was, it was kind of held up for a while, and it was originally, uh, it was originally heard, um, as I'm pulling my, all my stuff together, it was, it, I mean, this is, I've been waiting on this one uh, for, for a while, yeah, uh, Tuesday, January 31st was when the public hearing was for this bill and just so it's been a it's 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 to to quote the band stained it's been a while and this was to provide ongoing funds to support four main climate core program leadership positions and 50 eligible participants of the main climate core program now this was a uh it was a divided report on february 7th and finally reported out on April 19th as ought to pass as amended and ought not to pass. Now, the amendment for this um, just basically changes a program name um, more or less. So it doesn't really do a whole heck of a lot of other changes, but just made a quick little adjustment. But yeah, so that's been ought to pass as amended, ought not to pass by the minority report. Great. Okay. So let's get into the ones about school funding. Um, and I'm not going to go into extreme detail onto all of these bills because there's a lot. And, you know, I can't imagine that a lot of people would want to spend a whole lot of time listening to all of those. So, but LD 293, an act to revise the school funding formula, ought not to pass. LD-385, a resolve directing the DOE to examine alternative metrics for determining the disadvantaged student factor in the school's funding formula, ought not, ought not to pass. <clears throat> you know, I'm still, I'm still dealing with this little, like, congestion in the chest. It's been dealing with, I've had it, like, like, six, seven, eight weeks now, so it's been ridiculous. 
LD951, yeah, feel sorry for me, folks. LD951, mostly feel sorry for me because I actually enjoy doing this kind of stuff, and that's that's sad. Uh, but, you know, hey, someone's got to do it. Actually, no one does have to do it, but I'm glad I like to do it. LD951, an act to amend the state education funding formula to create equity between municipalities by adding median income to the formula. We talked about that one a little bit, how so much of the formula has to do with Oh, it's all property tax based. This would change that. Uh, ought not to pass. LD one fifty four, an act regarding special education funding for so called minimum receiver school administrative units. This was an anticipated divided report, and I don't have the breakdown as of right now as to what that divided report was. Um, but we'll we'll get that eventually. But generally speaking, um, you know this bill. This bill, uh, starting in the fiscal year 22-23, the minimum share of SAU special edge costs under the EPS services school funding must be 55%. So the bill also requires DOE to examine the methodologies used to determine when an SAU is a so-called minimum receiver under the EPS. So it did a few bunch of, a few things like that, and it's 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 a, a divided report. LD-889, an act to better support the educational attainment of low- and moderate-income communities by providing additional funding to certain SAUs ought not to pass. LD-1158, an act to recognize the critical nature of workforce development through CTE, or career and technical education, by establishing an adjustment for CTE centers in the school funding formula ought not to pass. Uh... LD-1369, an act to amend the EPS programs and services funding formula to include all costs for the transportation of students, students are not to pass. And there were a couple others that were that did pass, though. So, for example, um, or, or not or not say pass, but had a different vote. Uh, LD-1402, an act to provide an additional allocation in the school funding formula to cover tax-exempt property or a large economically disadvantaged student population. It's been tabled. Uh, that's an emergency bill and presented by Representative Brennan. Shocking, as a lot of these bills are. Emergency preamble, love those. And the bill provides that an additional allocation of, of school funding for a school for SAU in which at least 15% of the SAU has tax-exempt property that cannot be levied in support of public education in the SAU or for an SAU in which at least 50% of the students are eligible for free or reduced-priced meals. This is a very interesting uh, time for this kind of conversation because with the state's um, change a couple of years ago to you know all students get free food, which is an amazing deal and is wonderful, and I'm all in support of that, one of the pseudo-anticipated, kind of anticipated challenges at this brought on was that there are some families who could qualify but don't necessarily fill out the paperwork. And so the paperwork doesn't necessarily get fully uh, filled out properly. And as a result, the funding doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily accurate. So this would be interesting to see if it's all based on free reduced lunch numbers, which a lot of the, if not all of the economically disadvantaged student population numbers are defined at, how accurate are they right now? And that's a real problem facing a lot of districts. Another, uh, a couple other bills 
that are there, number L, uh, LD280, and act to make main schools safer and healthier by increasing the maximum debt service li limit. Love this one, just because of the title. Uh, voted ought to pass, by, which is, you know, that's a, that's a whole unanimous committee vote. And the other one was ought to pass as amended, LD1160, a resolve directing the DOE to conduct a study on the equity of the state education subsidy formula which explains why all the rest of them didn't pass. Because instead of saying, we're going to do this, they're saying, let's study this and let's have a report on this back next year sometime. So once again, they're defaulting to a study and they're defaulting to having some other folks br bring them the information that they require instead of which I, I, I get the caution, I get that, but there's also a lot of evidence and support that some of that we where whereas Maine does have one and is recognized to have a very a, a in comparison to many other places because that's the thing about when you're talking about data compared to what or compared to where compared to whom um, Maine has a relatively strong system of equity of equitable system for fund distribution, but it could be better. And I think that's one of the things that they want to see. And there are ways to do that. And there are studied ways to do that. So anyway, uh, that is the day of what happened on April 19th. A lot, of, a lot of those bills just went on right through and just said, you know what? Instead of, instead of just making it happen, we're going to continue to wait. We're going to punt it and possibly bring this up again in the special session. We'll see if any bills kind of carry over or get rewritten to be in the next session of the legislature. So that is the work session. Some decisions are being made um, and let's get into public hearings uh, and work session for next week starting April 24th, 2023. Uh, there are two days of public hearings and I'm looking at three days of work sessions. Now, to be fair, one of those days of public hearings, they're also going to be moving into a work session uh, later that day. So that will be the 26th. They're going to do 10 a.m. public hearings, and then they're going to go right into 2 p.m. work sessions, which, given what's happening on the 26th, we'll see if they do that, given how long testimony might be. We'll get into that in just a second. So let's talk about the tw April 24th. They're hearing six bills that day, and you'll notice a theme emerge as I go through some of the LD titles. And some of them often come up and have to come up time and time again um, every couple of sessions because, for example, LD 1458, an act to increase funding for the main school of science and mathematics presented by Rep President Troy Jackson of Aroostook. That one happens every time. That we need to increase the funding for uh, that school, or we need to. There's there's continuous bills for these for that particular uh, academy. Also, like LD fifteen fifty six presented by Senator Nicole Grahowski of Hancock, an act to provide a private support organization for the Maine Maritime Academy. Academy. LD sixteen fifty six an act to allow student representation representation within the governance of the University of Maine system, presented by Senator Michael Tipping of Penobscot, an interesting bill to allow student representation within the governance. Now, what's interesting about this is uh, 
it's in the University of Maine system. And a lot of people will default to like, hey, public education, public school boards, and they'll have student representatives on their boards of education. Well, those student representatives don't actually have any voting power. They don't actually have any real, you know, say in anything. They can be advisory and they can let people know of what's happening in the schools. But other than that, that's it. This looks like it's more like, no, we're going to have actual an actual voice in it. And I'm curious to hear how the testimony plays out with that. Are people in the university system really going to say that one, well, no, we don't think they should have a voice. We don't think that their voice should be heard. And here's why. Here's the justification for that. And I'm very curious to hear what their just what and why their justification is for doing things like that. Another one being uh, kind of a little bit of an outlier, especially when it, when you're talking about in terms of just titles and overall, is LD 1491, an act to support rural education presented by Representative Eaton of Deer Isle. And this bill does a few different things. Number one, according to the summary, it requires the Commissioner of Education to appoint a, quote, rural education coordinator to increase the recruitment of teachers in rural areas, support and improve access to teacher preparation programs for persons willing to teach in rural areas and otherwise support educational needs in rural areas. I can tell you right now, it is very hard finding teachers to stick around and finding finding new teachers or to meet certain needs in rural areas. It is very hard. It's hard in urban areas right now. So you can imagine what it's like if you're outside of the Portland to Bangor corridor, how hard it must be to find specialized people when it might be computer science teachers, it might be world language teachers, it might be qualified math teachers. You know, that's that's a real challenge that a lot of districts face. And so this is someone to really focus on rural education. It also directs the DOE to develop and implement a pilot program to provide up to 20 financial grants each year in schools in school in some certain school years coming up to support qualified students that agree to student teach in rural SAUs. Great. Uh, to incentivize that and to get people connected. Because one of the things that is is really wonderful is you get some new people come in and that way you can at least start building a community. Also directs the department to develop and implement a one-time program to provide up to 15 financial stipends to qualified teachers in rural SAUs to support the teachers' continuing education. So this, this bill is all about getting people into rural parts of Maine to teach. The rest of the bills that day are a little more aligned and a little more um, related. You have LD 871, an act to provide support for the Maine Discovery Museum's informal science, technology, engineering, and mathematics education programs throughout the state, presented by Senator Baldacci of Penobscot. That seems pretty obvious of what it would do. An LD-1283, a resolve to reestablish the task force to study the creation of a comprehensive career and technical education system presented by Senator Daughtry of Cumberland. I have some thoughts on this one. I'll get back to that in a second. An LD-1458, an act to increase the funding, like I said, for the main school of science and mathematics. All right. So, LD-1283, to reestablish the task force to study the creation of a comprehensive career and technical education system. There have been there has been a lot of movement in certain places 
across the state to build a comprehensive career and technical education. So, so what is a comprehensive career and technical education system? What it is right now, well, so if you think about our system right now, you have high school and you have CTEs and kids go to, students go to either one or both of those schools and go, go through those programs, right? So in the one school, you'll go through your English 9, English 10, English 11, English 12, Algebra 1, Algebra 2, Geometry, not necessarily in that order, Biology, Earth Science, Chemistry, Physics, etc. All that stuff that's been around for over 100 years, and we continue to do it. Why? Because we refuse to learn anything new in a system that's predicated upon learning. And on the other side, another school, you might go to like, you know, computer-aided drafting, culinary arts, metals manufacturing, uh, commercial truck driving, logging, um, all different kinds of different programs, and they are separate. They are independent organizations. And one of the things that is truly challenging is getting things like credits and connections to happen across those buildings. And those buildings could be in the same parking lot. Those buildings could be across many, many, many miles. But getting those connections and getting those conversations to happen about alignment and you know meeting expectations, that's a really hard conversation and, it's take, and it takes a while. Um, in my humble opinion, a lot of that has to do with uh, turf, protecting your turf. If I'm an ELA teacher, uh, I, I don't want anyone else, you know, who's may, maybe who maybe not be quote unquote a certified ELA teacher to say that they're doing ELA. I need to be able to sign off of that. Or that that's my that's my area, and I'm just using ELA as an example. It could be math, it could be world language, it could be a whole lot of different content areas. So there's a lot of you know turf. Protecting my turf, protecting my area, protecting who I am and what I do, and making sure that I'm that it's that it's that that I'm making it sound like it's personal, and in some ways it is, because if we re- if it was really just about the standards and it was about the education side of things, that wouldn't necessarily matter. It shouldn't matter who is doing it as long as it's meeting the criteria. Now. How do you do that? Very, there's some very simple ways you can do that. You create a particular project, and then a person who is certified in that particular area looks at that project through a lens. So if a person in culinary arts, for example, is not only creating a menu, but is also uh, creating several means in which to promote their menu and promote their restaurant and creating opportunities for them to... Um, What's the word? I'm communicate. <laughs> Funny, I stumbled over the word communicate. Communicate their their design. Communicate their invention. Communicate their menu. Well, there are ELA standards that are there. So instead of saying, "Well, no, you have to do this other project over here to meet these these particular standards," I can look at this particular project through this particular lens and see if you've met those standards in that way. Did I teach that stuff? Not in, not directly in that class, no, but you've met those standards. Maybe I taught it to you in this particular class, but you're measuring it over there. So when I say turf, that's kind of what I'm talking about. It's like, well, no, if I teach it, I have to measure it here in my particular place. So I am the gatekeeper of the proficiencies. And I think that's one of the things that is challenging a lot of CTE and 
uh, in high school. Credit programs. Now, a comprehensive high school, and there are schools that are like this down in Massachusetts and other places, this is a place where you would go and you would go and take a program, go to a class and whatever, and the the traditional high school academic content and the CTE program are truly fully integrated. It's not necessarily that you're going to be taking an ELA class here and then go across the hallway and take a um, engineering class. That's not what it is. It's like you know, you're taking an engineering type class and you're doing the ELA within it, or you're taking a class that's focused on marketing, right? And you're learning computer science skills within there, or you're taking a humanities class on psychology. And within that psychology, you're not only doing the communication and the reading stuff, you're also in the social study standards, you're also doing the math standards in terms of data analysis and data science. And at the same time, you're also potentially doing some other kinds of uh, programming or other, I don't know, something else. So it's, it's intertwined, it's truly integrated. And there isn't that necessary gatekeeping that those those turf wars don't necessarily exist. That's a comprehensive high school. And models like that don't currently truly exist in the state. There are snippets of it and there are elements of it that are kind of here and there and things that are building and being tried out, but there's nothing comprehensive and there's nothing, it doesn't really exist yet. Um, Several years ago, there was a... um, a grant project that was put out by the Maine Department of Education to build comprehensive high schools. And there are several school districts that um, applied for that. And full disclosure, um, I'm, I am not speaking in, on, in support of this grant or my project, the project that I work on outside of this particular uh, podcast, but for my job, I do work in one of the districts that has been awarded one of these grants and is working on that right now. Um, so I'm trying to come at this from a very straight, I'm being very, very straightforward with you. Um, but there were a couple of projects up in the county, up in Fort Kent and Holden, that worked on this for a while and um, could not get the governance, could not get some of the major components down of the really the base, the, the starting points. They got, they got hung up and they got stuck. And... Um, those projects failed, and a third project has been trying to get off the ground, and that's in the district where, um, I where my day job is, which, uh, that so I'm not going to talk about where we are with that because I want to make sure we keep that keep that very separate. Um, but there are opportunities, and there have been opportunities to create comprehensive high schools in the state of Maine, and the creation of that, and those things are kind of happening. So what's interesting is this resolve to reestablish this task force to study the creation of a comprehensive and career and technical education system is very interesting because on the one hand, they're saying we should be studying this. And on the other hand, it's like, well, that's already kind of happening. And to what extent is it being supported by the local, um, local districts, the legislature, the Department of Education, and how is it being supported in terms of making this happen in terms of, you know, um, bringing it to life? From there, um, I do also believe that 
This is presented by Senator Daughtry of Cumberland. Senator Daughtry is also from the Brunswick area, and I know that uh, there's been some discussion of trying to create a pseudo-comprehensive career and technical education center in Brunswick, over in Brunswick Landing, or that was at least one of the areas they were talking about doing it for a while. And that's been part of a conversation for several years. Uh, and um, trying to figure out what are the what are the barriers that get in the way. And there's a lot of discussion about barriers to CTE this year. I've been seeing a lot of that in my other perusings and other things that I do for not just my day job, but for other stuff. So there's a lot of discussion about this. I fully anticipate this to continue um, as it's a, a much needed conversation. And I hope... I hope that what this can, the study can really look at is is really do a comprehensive look as to, you know, looking at comprehensive career and technical education systems starting at like, like an Oxford Hills years ago, which was meant to be that way. And it never really evolved in that way. Mount Blue was meant to be that way. I think the one down in Sanford is meant to be that way and to really look at the extent to which are they really comprehensive or are they still these separate programs or are they truly comprehensive? And so that's, I think, one of the things to, to study it, the extent to which it was meant to happen, the extent to which it actually was happening, is happening, or could happen. Um, fascinating, very interesting stuff happening. That's the 24th um, for a public hearing. On the 25th, they are going to be doing a work session. Number of bills coming up. I'll just I'll just read through those quickly so in case you wanted to listen or pay attention to them. I mean, testimony is pretty much done at this point for them, but I suppose you could still submit something or at least listen. Or if nothing else, if you know someone and you want to really have a little edge and say, hey, here's something to consider for the work session. Uh, LD 669, an act to create the public art fund. Haven't covered that. Why? That's cultural affairs, and we don't, well, I'm not cultured. LD 921, an act to allow the local foods fund for public schools to be used for processed and value-added main food products. LD 947, an act to support the distribution of free summer lunches for children and to create a program to distribute leftover school food within communities. LD 1026, a resolve to direct the University of Maine system to establish a dental therapy degree program. LD 1028, an act to expand the higher education tuition waiver for persons who have resided in foster care. LD 1128, an act to address student hunger and nutrition through expanded access to free milk in schools. LD 1183, an act to establish a school meal equipment and program improvement fund. So, as you can tell, a lot of stuff on, on food and funding supporting um, food and dental therapy and as well as uh, an act to establish a school meal equipment program improvement fund, a resolve establishing the commission to update Maine's public policy on higher education and LD 1389, an act to establish a mobile learning lab, which was a fascinating public hearing. This was really interesting to listen to. Um, the discussions of this thing will just like drive around and be accessible and available. And well, how is that actually going to work? And it's focused on the life sciences and biology, which is great. And a lot of the folks who study and are really into like the life sciences and biology came out and said, yeah, let's do this. Absolutely. Oh, okay, great. But Maine's a, 
how are we going to just there's still some logistics questions that I think are real and I and whether or not those logistics questions are enough to stop it I don't know maybe it's one of those things that we just be like you know what let's give it a shot what's the worst that can happen we wind up having a science bust that we have to then repurpose after a few years um so anywho that is the 20 by the way a science bus now now it's like the magic school bus right we got to get miss frizzle in there driving that thing around and I think that the Department of Education needs to create a position right now that's basically uh, Miss Frizzle. And I nominate myself because, one, the outfits that she wears are just straight-out incredible. I would totally wear those things driving a bus around. Uh, number two, I don't know anything about science. I don't know anything about that. However, I am magical. I don't know. All right, so that's that's enough out of me uh, for 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 my Miss Frizzle miss. Uh, let's skip ahead because I want to come back to the twenty sixth. We're gonna skip down to the twenty seventh of April for another work session, and um, this one is going. This one's going to be at times emotional. Because there are some things that they're going to be talking about that and by, by, not by emotional in a bad way, but emotional in a one, I'm tired of having to deal with this. I'm tired of having to hear this. And I, these people just need to stop and realize what they're doing and, and just uh, just need to stop. So anyway, um, LD1309. Uh, work sessions, again, LG1309, an act to clarify requirements for payment of tuition for children with disabilities to the Department of Education's Child Development Service System. LD948, an act to create a liaison position. Ooh, I sound kind of French there. A liaison position between the Department of Education and Department of Health and Human Services on early childhood education matters. Again, this whole connection is trying to, trying to make CDS into DOE. <sighs> Uh, LD684, an act to implement pilot programs with publicly funded daycare and early childhood education. Great. Um, and then we're going to get into the more emotional ones and the, and the tougher ones that are going to be harder to sit through. Um, maybe not this one, but LD393, a resolve regarding legislative review of portions of Chapter 33, rules governing physical restraint and seclusion, a major substantive rule of the DOE. Again, a reminder of the major substantive rules. If I'm understanding things correctly, which is not, which is, you know, 50-50 here. Um, these are things that the, that the, are presented to the committee. But if they're not voted on or if they even vote not to pass, the DOE, the commission, can still say, yeah, we're going to do this anyway. So they're kind of like, it's kind of like a courtesy vote, I guess. Um <laughs> I you can replace that word vote with something else and it would get really gross in a second. I'm not going to go down that road. Although I guess I kind of did. But LD829, an act to improve behavioral health support for students in public schools. This is um, this is a we, 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 we went over this one briefly. Um, you know, require so, uh, social workers to spend at least 80% of their time providing direct services to students. 
Requires SAUs to employ an educator at each school um, who has completed a National Board Certified Assistant Behavior Analysis Training. Provides that this... Uh, Provides that for the purpose of the calculation of salary and benefit costs. Yeah, yeah. So more or less has to have school social workers. They have to be certified and spend at least 80% of the time providing direct services to students. What this one, this bill right in line with the final one being heard that day or the other one, LD 394, which I've talked about recently in a recent podcast, the resolve regarding legislative review uh, regarding the, the duties of school counselors and school social workers, and then a major substantive rule. This is one where there was a ton of testimony that came out that was talking about how, you know, parents' rights and school counselors um, shouldn't be saying this, shouldn't be telling this to the should should be able to shouldn't be able to withhold information from parents. And there's a whole lot of testimony that happened about that, and and. There was also some truly awful testimony of people saying truly awful and, quite frankly, bigoted things, um, ignorant things. And, <coughs> and um, it was upsetting. It was upsetting to listen to. And luckily... Luckily, this is work session, and so not, every, not anyone could just say it, come up and say whatever they want to say. However, like we've seen already, like with the immunization bills, some of the members of political parties they can they can call people in, they can invite people in to speak at work sessions. And if you have a person who's coming in and spouting off conspiracy theories, or generally speaking, ignorance, that is something that can happen at work session as well. So when I talk about things like, oh, I'm just so tired of hearing about this. I'm so tired of talking about it. I would love to continue talking about this in a reasonable manner, in a way that makes sense, and in a way that is fair. But what I'm not interested in doing is listening to people espouse bigoted, hateful, and ignorant things about gender identity, about transgenderism, about... about people it's not just about gender identity or trans. it's about people and to talk about people in a way that is so condescending that i know what's best for you when that same those same people in that party will turn around and say don't you dare tell me what's best for me but I know what's best for you. So that's the things that I'm just not looking forward to hearing again. What I am hoping is that this time around, the chairs of the committee will make sure that any of that kind of speech, language, or anything like that gets reined in quick and not allowed in a work session. That is just, and that they rein in any other of the committee members who are then trying to subvert the process by um, exercising, by, by using their platform in a way that is kind of manipulative to say things like, hey, well, I want to invite this person in to say, to talk about these things. Well, this person might have any credibility. You know, I, I've said this before and I'll say it again. 
one of the beautiful things about our country is that everyone is entitled to express their opinions. You are entitled to express it. Great. However, if you are in a position of leadership, if you're in a position of decision-making, one of the things that you have to weigh and know is that not all opinions are weighed equally. They're not. An opinion of someone without any expertise, knowledge, or study or experience in a particular topic, but just someone who read some blogs somewhere, that person versus a person who has the expertise, who has the knowledge, who has done the study, those two opinions, while both people are entitled to express them, they are not the same. So I hope the leadership is able to rein in any of the opinions of, you know, people like myself, like like listening to my opinions. Great. I'm very open. Like, I probably don't know what the heck I'm talking about most of the time. But I will say this. I have over 20 years of education. Over 10 years in a leadership position. I've done a lot in the state. I've worked a lot of places and I've worked with a lot of people across the state. And maybe I've seen a few things. I know a few things. And maybe, you know, some people might value my opinion in certain ways because I have expertise, because I have the education in that area, because of those credentials that I own, because credentials are important. Being a blogger for an online newspaper, is that really credibility or is that just you're loud? So that's the 27th and that wasn't the one that I was really just like, oh boy, this week is going to be exhausting. That wasn't the one that I was even thinking of because that's a day, that's a a work session. We don't have to deal with public hearing on that one. That's going to be just, hopefully they're going to nip that in the bud and just be like, nope, we're going to go through this. Boom, boom, boom. Here we go. Done. Moving on. Major substantive rule. We can just move on with this because it's a major substantive rule. This is not new legislation. This is just updating language to be in line with prior legislation that we've passed. So let's get to the 26th, April 26th. First of all, and I'm going to, I am going to work backwards because I'm all over the place tonight. Um, at start, supposedly starting at 2 p.m. that day, they'll have a work session for four bills, LD-489, an act to provide equal opportun- educational opportunity by adopting rules ensuring non-discrimination on the basis of protected class status in educational institutions. LD-1018, an act to increase the membership of the State Board of Education and review the board's responsibilities, functions, and staffing. LD-1033, an act regarding the issuing of diplomas for students at the Long Creek Youth Development Center and LD-1333, an act to protect children by modernizing internet and digital media filtering requirements for education. That is the one that I found is another one of these interesting bills that is um, presented by Representative Sampson of Alfred and a couple other co-sponsors. And this bill requires the State Board of Education to adopt rules to prevent material that is child pornography, harmful to minors, sexually explicit, or obscene from being transmitted by video, computer system software, etc. And all districts have this already. This is a problem that doesn't exist except for that word obscene. 
And that's come up in other bills before, and it's come up in front of school boards before, and you're seeing some school boards are getting pressure to ban certain books, and you're seeing this stuff like obscenity. Obscenity is that word that keeps getting thrown around, and that's the hard one because that's the one that's more unclear. You know, just read about the Miller test, read about the Supreme Court stuff on this, and that whether or not it's it has parts of what that are uh, parts of the the work that are obscene <coughs> excuse me or taken as a whole which is what the word language says because i can guarantee you some of these people who think that books like gender queer are obscene there are other people who think that there are other books that are just as obscene or have those but have those elements of obscenity in them you know, genderqueer by itself, as it's been shown as by a lot of folks, by a lot of folks, a lot of districts, etc., taken as a whole, it is what it is. It's not obscene. There are many other books that are being often read and used in schools that are quite violent, that depict instances and um, highlight legal child slavery and child marriage and 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 incest and terrible stuff and there are and I can I could give you an example of one and, and it's it's um, it's 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 one of the most popular books that's ever been published and in fact when when Johannes Gutenberg uh, did the printing press it was the very first book that he published so there's terrible stuff in those books there's great messaging there's wonderful um, ideas of morality, of ethics. There's wonderful stories in there. And there's also some really bad stuff in those. There's both. But taken as a whole, I'm totally fine with my kids reading through that book. Absolutely. It's informative. As a whole. So this particular bill here, this work session, that's going to be the one that's going to probably have like the a lot of it. Um, and then the um, public hearings on April 26th. There are four bills being heard that day, and they all have to do with school security and weapons in schools. Um, let's talk about school security first. LD 1326, an act to increase school security through design and protocol. This bill is um, <clears throat> excuse me, presented by Representative Andrews of Paris. And the bill requires schools to include design features that implement best practices to defend against active shooters entering the building. It requires teachers and staff to be trained on these features. It provides that an individual in a school who keeps a door or entryway to the school unlocked or open or allows an unauthorized person entry into the school commits a Class E crime. It creates a cause of action under tort law against teachers and school staff members for keeping a door or entryway to the school open or unlocked or allowing an unauthorized person entry into the school if that person injures or kills someone inside the school. Oh my Lord, this is where we're at. We have to have a bill that's saying that if you are an educator or a custodian or a administrative assistant or a food service worker or an ed tech, 
or a student. If you leave the school unlocked or open and bad things happen, then you can be held liable. Committing a class E crime. I mean, that's that's intense right there. That is intense. Now, I get the fact that you say like, hey, it's you, you know, you're you left the door open, so you should be respond. You you respond. Hang on a second. Let's not. This seems kind of deflecting in a way from the person who came in and was a shooter in the school. That's the person responsible, not the person who went to close the door and it didn't quite latch properly. Because if you've ever worked in a school, you know that there are those doors that never quite close quite right. They're all over. That you think are going to close, and next thing you know, they just haven't quite latched. And with the advent of, or the in, or the uh, bringing in more cameras, it's easy to see. That's easy to see what happened, 100%. All right. LD518. As you can tell, I have opinions on these bills. LD518, uh, an act to allow armed security in schools, presented by Representative Andrews of Paris, several co sponsors. This bill allows a school board to employ or engage by contract a school resource officer, private contractor, or volunteer with applicable background and experience to provide armed security at a school within the school board's SAU. So this is one of the first ways that we could say a SRO, a private contractor, or volunteer with applicable background and experience. So let's just hypothetical this out. I was in, let's say a person was in the military and has training and experience using firearms. Okay? Honorably discharged. 20 years ago. Has the experience. Could a school board say to that person, yeah. And they, this person, let's say, owns or runs a security firm, local security company, that does things like, you know, for weddings or parties or wherever, whatever it is. Hire that person. Hmm. I, uh, again, this is where we're at. It, it's scary. And... I've been, it's, it, it is, it is hard. It is hard sending kids to school and working in school, knowing that they're going through these particular drills that they're having to go through lockdown drills and having to discuss armed shooters in that come into schools. And knowing that there are preventative measures that can be taken that are shown to work and that are not being taken because people are scared 
of how it might look. And hiding behind some language that was cryptically written over 200 years ago. The next two, if the first bill that I mentioned here on this talks about holding people like up to a crime for leaving a door open, okay, and any individual it said, so it could be a student, the next one is allowing an armed security in schools. It could be SRO, contractor, or volunteer, I think was the language. LD-1557. An act to increase and enhance school safety by allowing individuals with concealed carry permits to possess handguns on school property. This is presented by Representative Paul of Winterport. This bill allows a person with a permit to carry concealed handguns to possess a firearm on public school property or the property of an approved private school Period. What the language specifically says is, the prohibition on possession of a firearm does not apply to a person to whom a valid permit to carry a concealed handgun has been issued by an issuing authority in the state as provided by Title 25, Chapter 252, and in accordance with federal law. The person must have in that person's possession the permit as required in Title 25, Section 2003. So this isn't even, like, this doesn't even require school board approval. This doesn't require notification. This doesn't require anyone say, yes, I am concealed carrying. This is simply saying a person who has the permit can walk into a building with a gun, with a weapon. Anyone who has that permit. I mean, that's terrifying to me. That is absolutely terrifying to me. If there are situations where someone goes and knocks on someone's door and gets shot for that, then someone who has concealed carry is in a meeting with someone and some things are in disagreement, that could have a weapon could be drawn because that person has the permit and has the ability to carry that in and has the right to carry that into the building. Would that happen? I don't know. It's intimidating, though. Finally, LD-52. An act to allow certain school employees to carry firearms on school property, presented by Representative Foster of Dexter. This bill exempts a school employee from the prohibition on possessing a firearm on public school property or the property of an approved private school or discharging a firearm within 500 feet of a public school property or the property of an approved private school if the school employee has successfully completed certification and training prescribed by the Board of Trustees of the Maine Criminal Justice Academy and has been authorized by the school board to possess or discharge a firearm for the purpose of enhancing the safety and security of the school and in defense of students, staff, and members of the public on the school premises. This bill provides that the school employee is not authorized to exercise law enforcement powers. 
This bill allows a school board to establish a certification standard and a training program to arm and supervise certain school employees in a manner and according to protocols that the school board determines. The bill specifies that a school board may not arm a school employee without the employee's voluntary consent, and a school employee may not be censured or discriminated against for unwillingness or refusal to carry a firearm. At least this bill has some parameters. At least this one has some guardrails in it. It's still allowing someone to, a school employee, any school employee to carry a firearm as long as they've met those criteria. But at least there's criteria. So... April 26th is going to be a day. It's going to be a day of really hard public hearings and hearing some truly terrible things that are happening in schools. And in my opinion, as you can probably tell, some truly terrible ideas of what should happen in schools. But that's where we're at. That's where we are in this world right now. That's where we are in education. The ideologues are louder than those with the expertise in this area. And when the experts in the area say, no, don't do this, the ideologues say, but we have, we believe we have the right to do so. So we're going to do it anyway. And people wonder why educators are leaving the profession, why they don't feel respected, why they don't feel listened to when they're saying, hey, don't do this. But, hey, politics, you know. And that's our episode. That's it. The public hearings on the 25th, 26th. Sorry, public hearings on the 24th, work session on the 25th, public hearing on the 26th, and work session on the 26th, and then the work sessions on the 27th. Busy week. They have a lot going on. Trying to get all these other bills all squared away and taken care of. Um, they are... I mean, they're, I mean, it's we're in the throes of April. I'm recording this during what's what's across the state is uh, during April vacation. So they're running out of time, and I think they know it. I'm seeing right now in my list, 163 bills just before the education committee. 163. So, that's it. That's our episode for today. I'm sorry to be a bit of a downer, but I would be disingenuous if I said that I'm looking forward to this next week and all of the testimony and the nonsense that I feel the 
that's going to be heard. And hopefully there's some really good decisions that get made. And hopefully the leadership comes through and makes some really strong and powerful decisions to, to, to actually support main schools, main educators, and main students. Hopefully. And they get off of this idea of this is what the political platform is and this is what is being said I need to be standing up for when, and then stop, again, that idea of not all opinions are equal. Listen to the people who know what they're talking about, who have the expertise, who have the background knowledge. It's not always coming from a political place. It's not always conspiratorial, and it's not always an attack. Sometimes it's just, no, I've been doing this a long time, and I've been studying it. We should be doing this. Listening is hard. Listening can be hard. Listening isn't that hard, honestly. It's really not. You just look at someone. What's your credential? Oh, you have credentials? Great. Let me hear what you have to say. Oh, you're going to speak too. Great. What are your credentials? Oh, you don't have any? You just have an opinion on this topic? Okay, great. I'm going to go with the one who actually has the expertise, who actually knows. And that doesn't not knows it because I read a blog or I saw it on Twitter, which, for the record, we never had a blue check. We never got one of those because only our faithful 17 people actually ever listen to this show. And in my opinion, they're the best. So with that, thank you again for sticking with us even through these hard times. Thank you so very much for continuing to support our little podcast here, listening to us, following along with all these shenanigans. We'll be back. Take care. Bye.